Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, your creator and host. With me this week is my wife, Carol. Say hello, Carol. Oh, hello there. Hello. How are you? Good, thanks. How are you? Pretty great. Pretty great. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some Dark Poutine. Mmm, poutine. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. In 2006, Thomas George Svekla, a man who had been in and out of trouble since 16, became the focus of a murder investigation led by the Project Care Task Force in Alberta. Svekla was a suspect in as many as 12 murders. He was only ever charged with two slayings and was later designated a dangerous offender. You are listening to Episode 156, Canadian Boogeyman, Dangerous Offender, Thomas Svekla. So have you heard of this guy? No, but he sounds like a Willie Picton type. Interesting that you say that, and you will be amazed by what you hear later. Okay. According to Forsaken, the report of the Missing Women Commission of Inquiry by the Honorable Wally T. Opal, QC, released on November 19, 2012, quote, As many as 24 women, many of whom had done sex work, have been murdered in or near Edmonton, Alberta, between the 1970s and the present. Project CARE was set up in 2003 to examine the deaths of, quote, high-risk missing persons and to employ new strategies to prevent women at risk of violence from going missing. At that time, it was estimated that 79 women had gone missing or were murdered and their cases unsolved. 79. Project CARE investigators have publicly stated that they think more than one serial killer may be responsible for the women's murders. Wow, 79? How come I've never heard of this person? You don't live in Alberta, and 
Canadian news, as I've talked about a lot before, is really regional. And had you lived closer to Edmonton, you would have heard more about it. Yeah, I guess maybe. It's just the way the world works here. Yeah. I've referred to Zvekla as a bogeyman, as that's a label that he'd given himself at one point. So he even called himself a boogeyman. So he's proud of this. I guess so. Svekla's list of past misdeeds reads like something out of a horror film, and the details we have about his life before and after his crimes come from court documents and news articles. One article titled Tom Svekla's Secret Life from Edmonton Journal writers David Staples and Karen Kleiss boasts quotes from Svekla himself and exclusive interviews with those who had known him and had been around him. We will refer to many of Svekla's sexual assault victims with initials only, thanks to the anonymity provided to them as victims of violent crime by the Canadian legal system and our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Okay, I understand. There was not a lot of information on the victims in these cases. Not a lot at all. And I don't like to talk about just the offender, mm-hmm. but because his life of crime was so broad, we have to talk about it a lot, what he did and what led him to where he ended up. Okay. Thomas George Svekla was born in Vegreville, Alberta on April 24th, 1968. He was the youngest of seven children and the only boy his farming parents, George and Emily had. So he's got six older sisters. Some farming responsibilities. Exactly. George was a hardworking and hard drinking man. Alcoholism was the Svekla family curse, and their home was not a happy one. From the Edmonton Journal article titled, Tom Svekla's Secret Life, quote, Nonetheless, tragic and destructive behavior does indeed appear to run deep in the Svekla clan. Svekla's grandfather shot himself in the head in a granary. His grandmother was once arrested for selling moonshine. His father's two other brothers died as a result of their chronic drinking. One other uncle who ran a grow-op, killed himself by driving intoxicated into a train. Oh, no. Yeah. That's a whole life of tragedy there. Many lives of tragedy. Yeah. As his drinking progressed, so did his rage. George, dad, took out his frustrations on his family, both verbally and physically. And by the time young Thomas was seven years old, George's boozing had cost him the family farm. From Dr. Lee Meller's book, Cold North Killers, the Sveklas stayed on as renters for a short period before picking up and moving to Fort Saskatchewan, where things went from bad to worse. An explosive drunk, George became universally feared in the family even when he was old and feeble. So frequent and savage were the beatings that young Thomas actually considered committing suicide to escape them. It was not uncommon for the 280-pound George to whip his family with belts, choke them unconscious, and pummel their faces until they were dripping with blood. Emily Svekla claimed George threw chairs at her and kicked her in the back with steel-toed boots. She had required surgery as a result and was recovering from the operation a few months later when he kicked her again in the same place, Ugh, end quote. What a nightmare. It sounds like Dolores Claiborne, the yeah, dad from Dolores Claiborne. That's right, Claiborne. just unrelenting, just relentless. And unpredictable. Yeah. When is this going to come? Just always walking on eggshells and then, oh, a nightmare. Although doted on and spoiled by his mother, Thomas was often berated and beaten bloody and bruised by his dad, as we mentioned. Tom Zvekla later told Edmonton Journal reporters that, quote, he only has one good memory of his father, taking him to ice and dirt tracks where Tom raced motorized trikes. 
But even that was ruined, Vecla said, when his dad drank too much at the races and caused a scene. It was embarrassing, but Svekla said he forgives his father. Quote, he did the best he could. He didn't have good parents. How was he to know what a good parent is to do? End quote. What are you supposed to say? <laughs> it's awful, but he's still like, oh, he didn't have good parents. Like, oh, okay. George's unpredictability, even in public, his violent tirades and multiple addictions made the Svekla's marriage untenable for Emily and the children. Unable to see any other solution, Emily left George Svekla and filed for divorce in 1980 with the aim of starting a new life. Emily's departure angered George. George pumped Emily's friends and co-workers for information about her. He wanted to know where she was and who she was with if there was another man. As long as George continued drinking and behaving the way he was, Emily refused to return, even though she was struggling mightily to make ends meet on the $210 a month she was making while working part-time in a Fort Saskatchewan nursing home. So part-time. Yeah. Yeah. When George relented and agreed to get help for his drinking, Emily agreed to go back to him, mostly for financial reasons at first. George was not making a ton of cash at the Esso fertilizer plant in nearby Redwater, only about $12,000 annually, but it was five times what Emily made. They got another place out in the country, and all was well for a time, until George returned to drinking. Yep. Thomas was a troubled youngster. In the eighth grade, he assaulted a 13-year-old girl known only as P.D. from court documents. One day, P.D. stayed in for recess to work on a social studies project. Tom Svekla came into the room and pushed her against a counter. He had his arm across her chest and was pinning her arms so she couldn't move. He tried to get her shirt and pants off. A girlfriend heard her and came into the classroom, interrupting the assault. Svekla left the scene. Oh, my gosh. So he was, he was 13, assaulting another 13-year-old That's girl. like junior high. Yep. Yikes. P.D. told her boyfriend about what Thomas had done to her. The boyfriend in another classmate beat Thomas up for hurting P.D. She didn't tell anyone else because she was embarrassed about the incident. She would later come forward to police after Svekla's 2006 arrest. Svekla later denied the incident happening at all, saying that P.D. had made the whole thing up to gain attention. Oh, yeah, that's what people do. Tom grew into quite the little hellraiser, and... Like lots of other teens, he started drinking, partying, and chasing girls. But Tom had the family disease. When he drank, his consumption was way over the top, and he sought darker and darker thrills. Thanks to his large size, he ran with an older crowd. He liked to throw his weight around, too, and was violent and fought with others, gaining a reputation as a scrapper. He would drunkenly careen about the family's property on his ATV. He did have a job working on a nearby farm, but blew all his cash on partying. From Edmonton Journal, quote, He and his buddies would head out to house parties and bush parties, but Svekla always craved less acceptable action. He started to steal and crash cars and brutalize others. Once, the RCMP alleged, Svekla got mad at a dog that had gotten into his garbage. He strangled the dog to death and dumped it on the highway to send a message to its owners, Ugh, end quote. This guy's the worst. Svekla's criminal convictions started when he was 16, but this was for minor theft charge. Things escalated quickly. He was already stealing cars and spectacularly wrecking them. When Thomas was 18, he was involved in another violent sexual assault. It was against a 15-year-old girl that he knew from school, known as AJ, also the younger sister to one of his classmates. According to court documents, quote, 
The incident occurred at her parents' house. Thomas Vecla had been there with her brother and another friend when they all left for the bar. They left her alone in the house. A few minutes later, Tom returned complaining that he had hurt his hand. He came in and she was tending to the hand in the bathroom. All of a sudden, he started yelling and screaming at her. He ran after her and pinned her to the floor. He was sitting on her chest with his knees pinning her arms to the ground. He was choking her. He then got up, pulled her down to the bedroom by her hair. He tried to pull her jeans and shirt off. He couldn't get them off because she went rigid. She tried to talk him out of it. He called her names, slut, and bitch. She thought that he was going to rape her. Ultimately, she felt that she got through to him because he stopped. The phone then rang. It was her brother. Thomas told her not to say anything or he would kill her. She took the threat seriously and didn't say anything to anyone. Quite a bit later, he apologized to her and said he felt bad about what had happened. He chalked it up to being drunk, although she did not feel that he was drunk or had been drinking much that night. She later became friends with him and even dated him for some time a few months later. Oof, End quote. That is complicated and weird and sad. Yeah, it's small town too, right? Having that person still in your life in a small town. Yeah, I guess you can't really get away. It's not like a no. big city. It's not like a big city where an assault is going to be anonymous. Yeah. You often know quite well the person who's assaulted you and you can't escape them. And I guess it's that way in big cities too, but... Yeah, I guess it just depends on the community where you live. But at least in a, in a big city, you have a kind of an opportunity to kind of get away. Like you, you can see new people. When George took early retirement in 1987, the family sold the acreage and moved back to Fort Saskatchewan. Thomas did not want to move back to town and leave the freewheeling country lifestyle, but his parents were going, so he had to follow. His drinking escalated, and harder drugs, including cocaine, eventually entered the picture. It wasn't all bad that year, though. Although a year behind where he should have been, Thomas managed to graduate from Sturgeon Composite High School. He also had a steady girlfriend at the time. From court documents, she later described several incidents of violence against her. Some involved times where Thomas would pin his arms against her throat while having sex and choke her. He would call her really nasty names. Demeaning names. His demeanor would change. His eyes would get icy. She would beg him to stop, but it would take him time before he would. She was concerned for her safety on these occasions and thought she might die. One of these choking incidents involved an umbrella that Thomas used instead of his arm to pin and choke her. Zvekla admitted this happened when he was interviewed by police later in June 2004. He stated that he sat on her and was going to shove the umbrella down her throat. He was so angry. She cried stop, so he did. He could have killed her and he could have... And he continued to think about her, killing her for years after. I don't know what to do about this person. I know looking back, you can piece all this stuff together and see like he's super violent, all these things. But in the moment, what are you supposed to do to kind of stop this person from doing what he's doing? Well, no one can stop him, essentially. No, and he sounds like a great big guy too. So mm -hmm. physically you're not, you would have to get like an army of people to get him if the police aren't able to help. Like, I don't know what to do. These people are just, like, they're in a terrible situation. Another incident occurred when Svekla attacked his girlfriend outside the Gibbons bar. He was in a jealous rage at this time. He pulled her out of the car and pinned her to a wall and was choking her. She had difficulty breathing. She stated that he was charged with assault, but she failed to attend court 
and just broke up with him, hoping to leave the incident behind her. Yeah, because what are you going to do? It just seems unwinnable. She must have just wanted the end to it. And, yeah. But she didn't foresee what he might turn into. No, nobody would. You would think this is the worst that he's going to be. And then he just keeps getting worse and worse. Thomas had been interested in and tinkering with cars since he was 14. In 1991, he received a ticket to be a journeyman mechanic. He used his mechanical talents while he's stealing and selling car parts to his buddies. He ran from the cops a lot, but was caught a few times and was sent to a drug rehab for treatment. His crazy behavior continued to escalate. One former friend referred to Svekla as a wacko and had cut ties with Thomas after a couple of violent incidents. According to the Edmonton Journal, quote, He used the money he'd made from stealing cars and car parts to help fuel an ever-growing infatuation with drugs. In 1993, he was convicted of drinking and driving, property theft, and assaulting a prostitute in downtown Edmonton in a bizarre incident. The woman, who is now off the street, said Svekla came up behind her and grabbed her purse. She ran after him and jumped into the back of his pickup truck. He sped off around a corner and she flew out the back. No matter how much Tom got into trouble, his mother was there for him. She loved him in spite of his poor behavior and forgave him. He told the Edmonton Journal that he thought she stuck with him because she believed it was her fault that he was like he was. Yeah, that makes sense. I went through that with one of my monsters. Yeah. His mother always believed that he could do no wrong and that maybe it was her fault that he was like that. that so she, she hadn't... would take care of him? Yep. No matter what? She would hide him out, all that kind of stuff. Mm. In 1995, Thomas Vecla met a woman named MB at a local bar called Thunderdome. I don't know if Tina Turner and Mel Gibson were there, but... <laughs> Sounds like a fun place, actually. <laughs> she was a mother to four children, two of her own and two foster kids. Svekla began staying overnight and soon began badgering MB to move away with him. Meanwhile, as Svekla was falling into further depravity, the bodies of murdered women, many of them sex workers, were appearing all around Edmonton. In 1983, the body of Gail Cardinal, 21, was found 10 kilometers south of Fort Saskatchewan. In September of 1986, 21-year-old Melody Joy Reigel's body turned up in a seedy hotel room. She had been sexually assaulted before her death. The badly decomposed body of Georgette Flint, 20, was found in Elk Island National Park on September 13, 1988. On October 25, 1989, the body of Bernadette Lynn Ahenacue, was 22, was discovered. She had been murdered and disposed of in a ditch near Sherwood Park. Police later considered Svekla a person of interest in Bernadette's slaying, but he has never been charged, nor has anybody else. Mm. On October 25, 1990, Mavis Mason, 29, was found stabbed to death off a rural road to the west of Edmonton. On December 21, 1990, Lorraine Ray, 46, was found in the bathroom of her business on Stony Plain Road. She'd been sexually assaulted and strangled. Just over two years later, on February 11, 1993, 25-year-old Elaine Ross's murdered body was found stuffed under a bed in a hotel on 183rd, just off Stony Plain Road. On Christmas Day in 1996, Joanne Ghostkeeper, 24, was found strangled in her apartment. Oh my gosh. The deaths would continue, and Svekla was to be connected in some way to at least two of them. And we'll take a break right here. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. So what are your thoughts so far? Well, that last batch of kind of people, but just seeing all those names and all the different kind of things that happened to them, that's just awful. That's what was going on in Edmonton at the time. Yeah. There's going on here too. <laughs> yep. So it does happen, but yuck. Svekla badgered MB to give up her foster kids. He was jealous of them and wanted her all to himself without them in the way. He wanted to move out of Edmonton to a smaller community. From the Edmonton Journal, quote, Just before they left, Svekla became violent with MB. The couple was to hold a garage sale, but Svekla took off with a friend on a late-night bender, M recalled. The next morning, M asked the hungover Svekla to do his assigned job, putting up signs around town for the sale. He went to do it, but forgot the staple gun. When he came back for it, the couple fought. Svekla blamed M for not making sure he had the staple gun. He was still drunk from his bender, he raged, and she was forcing him to drive around drunk. He punched her and knocked out her front tooth. Yeah, it's like Turner. Look yeah. at what you made me do. And this is the story with this guy. Everything I read about him, he's always blaming the people who he hurt. It's she was asking for it. Yeah. She was badgering me. She rejected me. She did this, that, or the other thing. It's always somebody else's fault. Getting away from Edmonton seemed to be good for Svekla. It appeared he was growing up. He'd somewhat curbed his partying and even gotten a driver's license so he could drive legally. Oh. So he'd never done that before. Just all this time, okay. Just driving cars around, working on them and driving them around, but no driver's license. He was working steadily with a gravel trenching company. He even married him, and they had a son together, and it looked as though there was hope. It all came crashing down, though, in 1999. Svekla lost his job after a fight with the company owner's son. Also, it came out that between May and December of 1995, Svekla's first months with MB, he had sexually assaulted PL, MB's five-year-old foster daughter, numerous <sighs> times. MB was shattered. Her husband was being investigated by police for sexually assaulting a child in her care. M did not want to believe the accusations at first, but when it came out that Svekla had also assaulted M's eight-year-old daughter, the marriage was over. M felt awful that she had brought such a monster into her home. According to the Edmonton Journal, the extent of his pedophilia is not known. He has one criminal conviction and has admitted to the RCMP, quote, I had sex with at least two girls underage. At least. End quote. I feel terrible for the people that like unknowingly bring these predators into their home. I just, the guilt that the moms must feel just It's got to be horrendous, yeah. As with many predators, in some kind of twisted logic, perhaps to justify his depravity, Zvekla would later indicate he believed M's daughter felt pleasure during the assaults. An eight-year-old girl. What? He confessed to police soon after his arrest. A psychologist felt Svekla was remorseful and wanted to, quote, get better. 
He had also said that he was upset that his wife called him a pedophile and said that he did not feel like a pedophile. The judge sorted through this nonsense saying, quote, I do not know how a pedophile feels, but an adult who performs sexual acts on a nine-year-old I think falls within that description, Judge McIntosh wondered. Judge McIntosh wondered how a man with such attitudes could be ready for treatment. Quote, the subject describes himself as a good father, a good provider, and a caring and loyal individual. Well, a good father does not do what this guy has admitted doing. Thank you, Judge McIntosh. Yeah. McIntosh handed Svekla a 30-month jail sentence for the assaults. I think McIntosh could have gone a little bit harder. Well, that's the thing. But I at think, least he said he addressed what was going on. But this is these are the sentencing guidelines that he has to work with. Judges just can't say, I'm putting this guy in jail for life because he assaulted a, a, a nine-year-old. That, that's the maximum sentence. I don't know what the maximum is in this case. Yeah. That same year, Svekla was also convicted for assaults he had committed against his wife, which occurred between February 1997 and May 1999. These included threatening M with a broken piece of furniture he had smashed, punching M on the side of the head while they drove across a bridge, climbing on top of her, kneeling on her arms, and punching M in the head in response to a comment about how their life sucked. He hates the truth. Smashing into a room to grab M, pushing her to the floor, and pinning her by kneeling on her arms before being interrupted by his father, kicking and threatening her with tent poles. Like, what a... It's, his list is just endless. M described another instance where he threw their cat against the door so hard it defecated all over. She described Thomas's hair-trigger temper and that she walked on eggshells living with him. You mentioned that before. She tried to leave him twice, once resorting to camping in the bush with her children, but she didn't have the resources to get away. She said that she could write a book about the many incidents she endured with Mr. Zvekla during their five-year relationship. Yeah, all I keep thinking is, what are you supposed to do with this guy? Like, what are you supposed to do? How do you stop this? Well, I think how you stop it is what eventually happens, is he gets locked up forever. Yeah, that's the only way. In Bowdoin Penitentiary, Svekla entered the sexual offender program there. From court documents, quote, The treatment program at Bowdoin focused on issues of risk management through victim empathy, emotion management, social competence, cognitive strategies, and a self-management module. Mr. Dell, the program coordinator, later stated that there was no distinction between how the program was run if the offender was a child or an adult sexual offender. The goal is so that offenders do not re-offend, period. Not just against the group they originally offended against. So, that makes sense. Yeah. In Thomas Vecla's risk assessment test, he showed a moderate to low risk of re-offending on four scales, and indeed, a low risk for sexual recidivism. But we all know that this story does not end there. So, again, maybe these tests don't take into account that this guy could be lying about everything that he's telling yeah. them. Mm -hmm. Or he just is able to maintain some good behavior for a short period of time and then he's not able to kind of stick with it. Svekla got a conditional release in October of 2001. He had delusions about returning to MB, but she had had enough of him. He was to stay away from booze, drugs, and pornography, but he was soon drinking and drugging again. From the Edmonton Journal, quote, 
In September 2002, at the same time as Vekla completed all the terms of his sentence, a newly created RCMP task force started to investigate the deaths of sex trade workers, Project CARE. Ten of the cases were sent to analysts at the RCMP Behavioral Science Unit in Ottawa. They concluded that five killings were probably committed by the same offender. The slain women were Monique Petra and Melissa Munch, both found near Sherwood Park, Katie Ballantyne, Edna Bernard, found near Leduc, Debbie Lake, near Camrose, and Miss Ahenekiu. Svekla met a woman we'll call A.G. sometime in the fall of 2003, when she was around 21 years old. A.G., her sister, her mother, Thomas Svekla, and others partied together for a period of time, drinking and getting high on cocaine. From court documents, At one point, A.G. was over at Mr. Svekla's place drinking and doing coke. He asked her up to his bedroom. They took off their clothes and Mr. Svekla asked if he could tie her hands behind her back. He then started choking her with a scarf. She hadn't expected this. He was then having sex with her and she passed out from being choked. He was very aggressive and rough. She hadn't seen him like this before. He continued having sex with her. She was very upset. She told him to quit and was yelling at him. He tore her and she was bleeding. He eventually untied her and... She left very upset and angry. She indicated that she knew that they were going to have sex together in exchange for the coke. This is the only time that they had sex together. The roughness, choking, and other rough sex acts were the issues that upset her. Mr. Svekla later apologized and urged her not to tell anyone. She said that her friends were going to get him. She went to see a doctor a couple of days after the incident, but didn't tell police until years later. Probably because she was terrified and just wanted to leave it behind her. And this is the thing I know for myself, when I went through the things that I did, I didn't want to talk about it anymore. I just wanted to shove it away. And and that's what these predators love that. I guess they count on it because he's just gone on a tirade for years and years and years doing this. Yeah. Like it's, it seems endless. Like when is this guy going to get caught? Well, he, he does eventually, or we wouldn't be talking about him. I know, but what year are we in now? We were in 2002, and he doesn't get caught until 2006. Okay, okay, four more years of this nightmarish man. In April 2004, Svekla was in treatment again, this time for coke addiction. From court documents, quote, He worked in groups and made some progress. He had to work on his childish behavior and taking responsibility. He finished the program and understood that to continue to be successful, he would have to stay away from crack cocaine and those who do drugs and go to 12-step programs. He was using again very soon after the completion of that 35-day program. In summer of 2004, Svekla called the Edmonton police claiming he had, quote, found Rachel Quinney's body in a forest near Fort Saskatchewan during a cocaine-fueled few days of partying as he described it to the RCMP when questioned. What Svekla was telling police did not make any sense. Something felt off to them about what he was saying. Yes. From court documents, quote, It was clear from this interview in June 2004 that Mr. Svekla had gone back to his cocaine habits, returning to associating with other drug users, and was living off the avails of crime, mainly organized theft. He felt that, Finding Ms. Quinney was a powerful message that he should stop taking drugs. He was worried that he was capable of, quote, doing a crime like this and was worried that he was progressing in danger. Mm. So he was talking, even talking to the police that, well, I found this, maybe this is a message from God that I am 
I am capable of doing a crime like this. Is it possible you've just been doing it your whole life? Mm -hmm. And he did admit to some other people that he had done violent things to people and felt bad about it when he was drinking and those kind of things. Police made a decision to give Zvekla a polygraph, to which he submitted from court documents. During the polygraph interview in June 2004, Mr. Svekla was asked if he had hurt anyone and to tell the officer so that he could clear his mind of that before the test. It was striking that Mr. Svekla could not manage to clear his mind of all the people that he had hurt. He recalled hurting some of those mentioned above, like his foster and stepchildren, but he also added his son, a man in jail, and was concerned that he could not remember all the people that he had hurt. Wow. Svekla's seeming desire to stop doing drugs and hurting people was short-lived. He went right back to it. According to court documents, he was involved in a dangerous driving incident only months later, and crack cocaine was found in his vehicle. A condition of his bail for that was that he go to Poundmaker's Lodge Treatment Center located in St. Albert in January 2005. He was there for a residential program for six weeks. From court documents, Svekla had trouble in the program. He didn't get along with some of the others. He boasted about being a professional thief. He couldn't get past the third step of their 12-step program because he, quote, just didn't get it. The report stated that he, quote, had difficulty demonstrating that he could apply these steps in his day-to-day life. His mother and sister were constantly trying to get an extension for him, and he did manage to get a two-week extension, but it didn't amount to much, according to his counselor. Yeah. It sounds like he wasn't willing to do what he needed to do. I get people need more time to grasp things, but two weeks is not going to help. This guy is just like a lifetime criminal. In May, Svekla was sent back to treatment again. During a session with his counselor, Svekla spent time blaming his eight-year-old stepdaughter for her own sexual assault at his hands. Although he completed the 28 days of the initial program, he was booted out of the second stage for drinking beer. I just want to vomit. On the evening of August 4th, 2005, a woman known as VK met Svekla late at night in a downtown hotel in the small town where he was living. And we're not saying the name of the town because it will identify some of his victims. Yeah. It's easy to find, but we're not going to say it. Yep. From court documents, he invited her over to his place for drinks. While sitting on the sofa together, Mr. Svekla attacked her, putting his left hand on her mouth and nose and his right hand on her throat. He then twisted her head and tried to kiss her. He grabbed her breast and tried to remove her pants. She tried to fight back and yell, but couldn't because he had her by the throat. He said that he was going to break her neck and hide her body where no one would find it. She played dead, so he released her and went to the kitchen. She took this opportunity to run out. She went to the police and photos were taken of her injured neck and cheek. More charges for Mr. Fekla. So it's the same thing he'd been doing since he was 13 years old. Yep. Now he's kind of using his size against them. Yep. From Lee Miller's Cold North Killers. One afternoon in May 2006, Thomas Vekla arrived unexpectedly at his mother's door in Edmonton carrying a hefty hockey bag. It didn't take long before an argument erupted, prompting him to call his sister Donna and her husband to drive him back to their Fort Saskatchewan home. When Donna Parkinson inquired as to the contents of his luggage, Svekla explained that he was transporting $800 worth of compost worms as a favor to a breed in his hometown. $800 of compost worms? You need a dump truck to... (laughs) Okay, anyway, sorry. This hockey bag, yikes. 
So Donna knew something was amiss right away. As soon as her brother left, Donna and her husband opened the hockey bag and were horrified at what they'd seen inside. The bag contained the nude body of a woman. The Parkinson's called police. It was later found the dismembered body belonged to 36-year-old Teresa Innes. She was wrapped in a shower curtain, air mattress, and several garbage bags, then bound together with wire. She was trussed up so tightly that the coroner took over an hour to untie her. Good God. Svekla was picked up and charged with Teresa's murder and became the first person charged thanks to the evidence provided by Project Care. Teresa had been addicted to crack cocaine and supported her lifestyle through sex work. It was also later revealed that she was Svekla's on-and-off girlfriend. In January 2007, the Crown also charged Svekla with the murder of Rachel Quinney, the woman whose body he claimed to have found in 2004. Svekla's behavior at the trial was bizarre. He acted like a cranky rock star, being brought in, flipping off the cameras of the media outside the courtroom. In one famous photo, Svekla, in sunglasses, flanked by RCMP officers and in handcuffs, can be seen putting his index finger to his lips as if to say, Shh, I have a secret. He even called himself Alberta's Robert Picton at one point. Oh, there it is. And now Hmm. we're looking at the photo of him, and that is the photo that we'll use as our cover for the episode. Lucky us. Lucky everyone. Yeah. Ugh. Yet another punch me face. Yep. At the end of the trial, Justice Sterling Sanderman found Zvekla guilty of second-degree murder of Teresa Innes, but not guilty of the murder of Rachel Quinney. Quinney's family was devastated. According to the judge, there just wasn't enough evidence to support a conviction in Rachel's slaying, which makes sense. Yeah, it's sad. Zvekla was sentenced for Teresa Innes' murder on June 17, 2008, from the Toronto Star, quote, Justice Sterling Sanderman ordered that while Zvekla is automatically sentenced to life in jail for the second-degree murder in 2006 of Teresa Innes, he can't ask for parole for at least 17 years. Quote, We don't treat the dead with the utter contempt and utter disregard that you exhibited to Miss Innes, Sanderman told Zvekla, who sat impassively in the prisoner's dock. He also excoriated Zvekla for repaying the hard work of his lawyer, Robert Shagik, with quote, treachery by making inappropriate comments behind his back, questioning his ability to defend him. So he was even like, it's my lawyer's fault that I am convicted. Right. Right, because the judge continued, you should be ashamed of yourself. Svekla remained impassive, boxed between a pair of armed guards in the court of Queen's Bench, end quote. According to the Globe and Mail, Innes' mother was asked outside the courtroom whether she was satisfied with the sentence handed down. She said, quote, very much so. He won't hurt anyone again. And she was right. Svekla's later designation as a dangerous offender, thanks to his long life of evil deeds, assured him an indefinite stay behind bars. He continues to deny many of his crimes, including Innes's murder, but other crimes he admits to. So uh, he's a very interesting and weird character. Selective. Yeah. Um... Well, if I admit to this... But deny this. You know, I'm admitting to things. I'm admitting to some things. Yeah. I don't know why he went on keep something secret and others not, but he's also a crazy person. Yep. Clearly not rehabilitatable. No. So best kept where he is. Yep. Keep him in the clink forever. Yep. So what do you think of that guy? I'm exhausted. Yeah. 
Oh, he's really horrible, horrible. Yeah, not a good person and at all. And all the people that just like the trail of destruction. Mm-hmm. Ugh, just seeing it all written down because I'm looking at your script. Just you can see the names and kind of the list of everything he's done. It's just awful. Yep. All the people he's hurt. And that's why I, and this is why I have trouble with people like Willie Picton, Robert Picton. I call him, we call him Willie here locally. A lot of people nationally will call him Robert, but we've always mm-hmm. kind of called him yeah, Willie. Yeah, they always called him Willie here. Yeah. But uh, because it's the list of what he did is so horrendous and it dehumanizes the people behind it. Yeah, because they're not numbers. They're actually family members. Yeah. Yeah, like Teresa Innes and Rachel Quinney were people. Yes. They were human beings with lives, with people who love them. And that, this monster, well, they've only proved that he snuffed one of them. Yeah. But, you know, like, but we can't, we can't say that he did anything else legally. No. Because he did not, according he to the legal system. in all kinds of different ways, many, many, many people. Yes. Punch me face. And then, yeah, and then he just kind of jokes about it. Yeah, it's, it's like... It's like a, he's treating it all like a joke. Yep. It's all a lark to him. Yeah. And who knows what he's like in jail. I'm yeah. thinking those are the guys that do best in jail. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Probably. Right. Because they're ruthless. Yeah. Mm. And that's it for this week's tale. Hmm. Good gosh. My God, man. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, so we had a good little break. Yes, we did. We had we ate we ate some food. We didn't overdo it this year at no, all. No, I don't think so. No. I tried a few new things, little bits and bites. Yeah, Carol made uh, the most giant pan <laughs> of bits and bites. Uh, it was actually at my suggestion to use the turkey pan. <laughs> exactly. You could cook a how many pound turkey in there? Probably a. Oh, easily, like easily 20 to 30 pounds easily in there. And, and you know what? It was like a heaping pile of bits and bites. And I was like, oh my God, we're going to be eating this till March. No. Uh, no. We g- I gave a little bit away, but yeah, it was done before New Year's. <laughs> yeah, it took about a week. Yep. Delicious pretzels. Delicious. And these weird kind of salty, savory treats called tubes. That were in there. I found it at the grocery store, but they spelled tubes T O O B S. Oh, yeah, because you always want to eat <laughs> tubes. <laughs> salty tubes. It was a savory treat. Mm, I want to munch on your salty tubes. Ooh, tubes. We'll go get a bag of salty tubes. Carol needs salty tubes. <laughs> so, yeah. Nuts and bolts, bits and bites, did it. I think the secret ingredient there, well, it takes about half an hour to melt down a pound of butter, just so you know. That's one secret ingredient. And then celery salt in the recipe. There you go. There you go. Tasty. Well, let's do some voicemails. We've got a few here. Nice. Uh, People have been calling us because I guess they want to call us around the holidays or for the new year. Um, You can... Do it yourself by leaving us a message at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. And if your call stands out, you might hear it on the show, or we might play it even if it doesn't, because we need people, we want people to call us. We like phone calls. We like we phone like calls. voicemails. I'll take. I don't like phone calls, but voicemails, yeah. Voicemail is fine. <laughs> it is okay. Let's have a listen to this one. I'm ready. 
Hi, Mike and Carol. This is Francesca, and I live in Linden, Washington, just not too far over the border from you guys. And I had been contemplating calling in for a little while, but after hearing the holiday episode, I knew that I had to because my Oma Hetty, who is from Germany, actually had and survived an encounter with a Krampus. I think, if I'm remembering right, it was back in the late 50s, early 60s, and she was living in Milwaukee, her and my opa, and I believe it was the Christmas before my father was born, and she encountered a Krampus while they were at a holiday festival, and the Krampus had the bundle of sticks and actually hit my Oma with them and actually chastised her for working and not being at home like a proper woman should. So not only is the Krampus an evil creature, but as I think this demonstrates, sadly, he is also a part of the patriarchy. (laughs) Agreed. But otherwise, just wanted to say how much I love the show and... Thank you guys for everything that you do. Linden, I know exactly where it is. That's a cute little town. Yeah. It's like, what, half an hour away from us. Yep. Yeah. So that's cool. Also, not surprising about Krampus, smash patriarchy. Yeah, that's pretty funny. (laughs) Like a proper woman should. Sheesh. 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 Suck it, Krampus. Suck it. It should be Grampus. (laughs) Grampus. Oh, granddad. Grandest. All right. Let's listen to another one. Looks like we had one from, oh. Hi, guys. This is Jane. I'm from Saskatchewan. I send you donut money from time to time, especially when I see you're being picked on online. That's kind of my thing, standing up for the bullied. Um, I'd just like to call you out or call you in or just say thank you for your shout out on your Christmas episode, just letting everybody know that you'd be available in your social media groups. I think uh, that's a really cool thing that takes a lot of emotional labor on your part, whether you think so or not, and uh, a wonderful thing to do for your listeners. I love your show. I'm super excited that you covered Schneeberger. That's my pet case because I'm uh, relatively close to that area. And it still to this day horrifies me. I was relatively young when it happened, and I remember hearing about it and being just skeeved right out. Um, Anyways, Merry Christmas. Uh, Thank you for all that you do and for, uh, you know, befriending and and, uh, taking care of your listenership so much. And Merry Christmas. Go shit in your hat. (laughs) Why, thanks. Thank you. I, I love being told to shit in my hat by somebody who, who cares. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, here's a really short one. And I think that this is kind of fun. So let's just listen. It's super short. Hey, guys. No doubt about it. You guys have an amazing Canadian podcast. Why don't you go shit in your hat, eh? <laughs> All right, I'll get cracking on that. Yeah, Carol's going to get cracking on the hat shitting right there. Oh, I've got so many knitted hats I could just do, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not cleaning it up, just so you know. No, uh, it's not expensive yarn, so I can just throw it out. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, that is it for voicemails. Again, nice. if you want to call us, you can leave us one at one 327 5786 or 1-877-D-A-R-K-P-T-N. And I guess it's time to move on to Patreon. Patreon. Patreon, because we love you and you guys are awesome. Thank you, Patreon people. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, we really actually, uh, we really appreciate all the support that we get from folks. Uh, I'm amazed every time we look. Whoa, I, look at that. Every time we look? Every time we check, I'm just like, wow. Mm -hmm. You guys. Yeah. Okay, so first up from Calgary. Okay, first up for patrons from Calgary, Alberta, Scott Gamash. Actually, we did do him. I remember it now. Do we? Scott Gamash. I think we haven't said anything about you before, but I'm not entirely sure. So anyway, we'll give Scott Gamash a welcome anyway and a thank you. And a thank you because I know what his job is. What is it? It's the professional panda cuddler. He's a professional panda cuddler? Yes, at the Calgary Zoo. Oh, wow. That's a great job. Now, apparently, these pandas are getting sent back home. So his job's wrapping up. But he does have that on his CV now. Oh, there you go. Yep. But Lucky Duck. Panda right? That's the, the most coveted number one job in the world. Right. Panda cuddler. What's better than that? I don't know. Nothing. Nothing. We saw the big pandas, though, in Calgary. There you go. So there's two names on this next patron, which is interesting. Oh, okay. So it looks like Megan Wild and Adam Turner. Okay. So what do Megan and Adam do? Do they do a job together? Yes, they do. They're a team of luxury bed testers. They test luxury beds. Again, best jobs in the world. So you just lay down and have a good old snooze on a luxury bed. Yeah. And then you have to do a proper survey and then you have to compare the different luxury beds to each other. Right. They have a list. And one of the things most important for me in a luxury bed is fartability. <laughs> is, am I able to fart comfortably in this bed? Okay. You know Dutch that. ovens. Dutch oven. Oh. Is this the Dutch oven tester? That is your job, Dutch oven tester. <laughs> I have never given you a Dutch oven. I have actually. I've never given you a Dutch oven. You have actually. I was not on purpose. Sorry. <laughs> lying. Okay. Sorry, not sorry. Okay. So they're luxury bed testers. Thank yes. you. Excellent Both. work. Please thank you for your service. Next up, we have from North Providence, Rhode Island. I have actually been to Rhode Island. Really? We have Anne-Marie Cummings. And what does Anne-Marie do in North Providence, Rhode Island? She's a Google Maps trekker. A Google Maps trekker? Yes. So, so does she, she goes, drive the car? No, no. She has to put it in a backpack. And then she's got to walk all around with the big Google camera on. So she's a Google Map trekker. Yep. She's got the big, heavy backpack with a big Google camera attached to the top. It's pretty cool, actually. So it's right above her head on a stand. And then she looks around as she's walking and takes photos. What's the weirdest place she's ever been? Well, she's in Rhode Island. Okay. <laughs> I don't, Rhode Island's not very weird. I don't think so either. And I always confuse it with Long Island. So it'd be the Long Island Medium. I should just start a show called the Rhode Island Medium because that's what I think it always is. It's not. Totally a different place. Totally a different place. Yeah. Next up, we have Olivia Wick, and she is from Calgary, Alberta. Ooh. Your hometown. 
What does Olivia Wick do in Calgary, Alberta, Carol? She is a water slide tester. So she tests water slides. Yes. Not only in Calgary, though. I think there's only like two pools that have water slides there, but she's an international water slide tester. So she goes all over the world and tests water slides. Yes. With and without inner tubes. Wow. What a great job. That is a good job. Yeah. I would love that job. And she gets to go at the downtime. So they actually, you know, like not when the public is there. So she gets the whole place to herself. There you go. Nice. Not bad. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for patrons. Let's move on. To thank our, you, patrons. Thank you so much. Let's move on to our donut money donors at PayPal, not PayPal, <laughs> as I've said before. Oops, PayPal. Different website. <laughs> Don't Google it. Don't Google PayPal. Oh no! What happened? Oh, what happened? Why do I feel so sick to my stomach? Now, speaking of pee, can we just address something? No. No, is now not the time. Well, if it involves no, <laughs> no, this involves a correction. Oh, so one thing I didn't realize: there are a lot of bunny and rabbit people in the barnyard. A lot of listeners have bunnies. They, they have bunnies and in the, the. Are they saying they don't smell like pee? Exactly. I think you heard some bunnies' feelings. <laughs> We're sorry, bunnies. Yeah. And bunny owners, we know that you take good care of your bunnies and they uh, don't always okay. smell like pee. Yeah, I think the problem is people who leave their the bunny shavings out too much yep. and don't change them enough, that's when it smells like pee. There you go. Kind of like cat litter. I have been corrected. You are corrected, sir. No hard feelings. Next we have, uh, back to Donut Money Donors, oh. we have Sally Norris, our friend from the UK. Oh, nice. She says, to Mike and Carol, many thanks as always. Wishing you and everyone at Dark Poutine a very merry and happy, prosperous new year. Kindest regards, Sally N. Oh, Sally, thank you. Kindest regards to you, Kindest too. regards. It's always nice to get an email, kind regards. And we know the New Year and Christmas and stuff, this first month and two or two of the New Year is tough for people. So, yeah. Yeah. It's nice if to get If you can't be a patron or a donut money donor right now, we understand. It's okay. Don't we, worry. We still love you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you to all our patrons and Donut Money donors, past and present, for your help to keep us doing what we do. If you want to become a patron, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkproutine. For a one-time donation, you can send us Donut Money via PayPal at our email address, darkproutinepodcast at gmail.com. And if you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot to us if you did. You can find us on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever else you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpatine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Please take the time to give Dark Patine a like or follow on Facebook and Instagram. It most importantly, thank you for listening. Tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.